Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello there, sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Hello, welcome back to the show. Now this week we tackle one of the big ones with 1969's The Battle of Britain. Now to help us with this one, we're joined by military and aviation historian James Jeffries, who specialises in the war in the air and British cultural memory of it. Uh, James, welcome to the show. It's been a long time in the making this one. It's great to have you with us. I'm so excited about this. This is the film that got me into history, watching it as, I don't know, since I could remember, just seeing all the Spitfires and Hurricanes and everything. And I was just filled with questions. I want to know what happened before. I want to know what happened afterwards. And here I am. Yeah, doing a PhD on, on it. I get to write I about that. it. So, yeah. I love that because that's what, what we talk about quite often, isn't it, on the pod, where we, mm. we talk about how films have that power to make you want to go and find out more about a subject. And, yeah, I think this is definitely one of those films that, that does that and makes you want to go and find out yeah. even more of the context. Although the film does a pretty thorough job of laying out a lot of the story and a lot of the yeah. background to the to yeah. the battle, but... Um, that's something I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment. Mm, definitely. Should we do the production first this week, Matt, and then go to cast? Absolutely, if you want to, yeah. Great. So the film was directed by French-born British director Guy Hamilton. He served in the Royal Navy during the Second World War. He actually won a Distinguished Service Cross. Um, so I think he might be one of the few directors we've done, Matt, that actually has a medal, a medal-winning yeah, director. That's, I mean, a, yeah. a DSC is quite not, nothing mm. to... Uh, to scoff at is it wow well apparently he was left behind during the operation he spent a month in behind enemy lines before he was picked up again wow oh, wow should have made a movie about it, it um, might, yeah. 
<laughs> so uh, he directed his first war film in 1955 with the cult, but with the cold story, he also co-wrote that one. Then in 1961, he uh, directed the David Niven film, The Best of Enemies. Uh, he also directed the 1966 sequel to the Press File f- Funeral in Berlin. Um, nice. And he also directed four Bond films, starting with Goldfinger in 1967. And then later on in his career, he directed Force 10 from Navarone in 1978. And I love that film. Oh. It's good. I won't hear anything wrong about it. Um, don't shoot me up. <laughs> <laughs> Getting in there quick. <laughs> it's got oh. um, it's got uh, Apollo Creed in a Dennis and Smock Mountain. What more do you want? I know, I know. That's, that's one of its few redeeming uh, exactly. features. Exactly. And it was written um, by a duo uh, of Scottish writer James Kennaway. He also wrote Tunes of Glory and uh, Wilfred uh, Greatorex, who was one of the creators behind The Secret Army and the Edward Woodward uh, dystopian drama 1990. And he also served as Roy Urquhart's ghostwriter on his 1958 Arnhem book. Which is interesting. Oh, wow. Mm. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He also did The Plane Makers. And its sequel, he did a, a, an ITV drama called Hein, which is all about a, a weapons contractor in the 70s. Um, he did a lot of stuff. Like he was known as one of the probably one of the most consummate uh, screenwriters of his generation. He was really famous, um, really famous chap. The 70s was, was such a good time for TV. You had mm, like yeah. the, the Sweeney, the professionals, you've got programs about what happens if communism gets the grip with 1990. Yeah. You got a program about a weapons manufacturer. You don't get any of that now. We just get Midsummer's Murders and, and God knows what else. Yeah, like 20 police procedurals a year. Yeah. Um, uh, the legendary Harry Saltzman served as one of the film's producers and it was distributed by United Artists. Cinematography, I think we've covered him before on the show, Matt, but it was by three-time Oscar winner Freddie Young, who worked mm. on Lawrence of Arabia, Lord Jim, Dr. Zhivago, Ryan's daughter, among others. Um, soundtracks by Ron Goodwin and, and I think it's composed by William Walton. Uh, Goodwin um, was on as it's no stranger to war films. You know, if you're a fan of the pod and listening for a while, you'll know his name. Um, his credits include 633 Squadron, Where Eagles Dare, Submarine X1, The Magnis- Magnificent Men in Their Flying Machines, to name but a few. You know, if you're a, a war film fan, you'll have heard his work. Um, That's a CV, isn't it? I know, right? Mm, yeah. Brilliant. Not, Absolutely not iconic tunes. Not to mention like the sea of other works he's done. It, it's it's quite a CV. Um, so filming for this one took place at Duxford, uh, Debden, Northweald and Hawkinge. Um, they're all RAF, um, you know, famous places. Uh, all operational stations in 1940. Uh, one surviving First World War Belfast hangar at Duxford was blown up and demolished for the Eagle Day sequence. Uh, it's also some of it was filmed in Bobbingdon. The Dunkirk beach scene was shot in Spain in Huelva. Is it Huelva? I can I'm probably going to butcher I, I, that I one. wouldn't. No, I don't know. No, <laughs> I know. They're not a Spanish football team, I don't think. Well, they're not in the division that I know of, so, so I'm not going to attempt it. Um, <laughs> some aerial shots were also undertaken in Malta, and apparently shots taken upwards were filmed in Spain, and shots where you can yeah. see the ground were shot in the UK. Nice way to know Sensible. what part of the are looking at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, 11 Group's operations room was used, and that survives as part of the Battle mm. of Britain bunker. St. Catherine's Dock in London served as location for the Blitz scenes. And we were sent, kindly sent, an extraction from Britain at War magazine from its editor, Simon Stabler. And I'll read you a piece uh, written by Christina Hawley, remembering her youth um, growing up in East London. So she says, in 1968, a film crew arrived 
near Dragon Row to shoot blitz scenes for the Battle of Britain, the iconic movie starring Michael Caine. The houses were due for demolition, so the, the crew let rip with special effects, which was terribly exciting. We were drawn to the site by searchlights, which lit up the night sky, and a huge tethered barrage balloon, which I thought was a whale. Being age 10 and rather gormless, I asked the crew what the film was about. Sex, came the reply. My mum laughed when I told her, but I still didn't get the joke. Wow. Nice. <laughs> thanks for sending that along, Simon. That was fascinating. Yeah, thanks, Simon. That's a great article as well. Thank you so much. Um, and former participants of the Battle of Britain served as technical advisors, including Douglas Bader, James Lacey, Robert Stanford Tuck, Adolf Galland, and Dowding himself. It was filmed for $14 million, and it only made $13 million back. So at the time, it was considered a bit of a flop. Um, but it made its money back through rentals, and it probably made it back through streaming now, I'd assume, as well. Yeah. Um, Basically the... becoming a cultural icon. Yeah, it really it has. It's yeah. made the yeah. film's money back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, without without a doubt. You know, whoever's got the rights probably isn't, uh, you know, probably isn't suffering the cost of living crisis. Anyway, uh, released in the 15th of September 1969 in the UK and re-released in June 1970, and in the States it came out in November 1969, and the film's also edited into lots of uh, other famous war movies at the time oh, yeah. of the of the day. Sorry, including the Battle of Midway, Dark Blue World, Das Boot, uh, Hope and Glory, Top Secret, the uh, Val Kilmer comedy has a scene from it in, and the TV series Piece of Cake. I think I've seen those Dorneas more in other films than I have in the Battle of Britain. Sometimes, um, this is that that scene of two Dorneas coming in, always in films. I think. And I have a retro review for you this week. And I picked one that was controversial because we love a bit of controversy on the show. And it's from Roger Ebert from the week of release in America from 1969. And he gave the film one star. Um, but I'll read you the first three paragraphs. Of all the insults to our intelligence in the Battle of Britain, perhaps the very worst is when Michael Caine's dog looks wistfully into the sky and whines for its master to return. We are asked to applaud heroism because of the discomfort it causes dogs. There was hardly a wet eye in the house. Battle of Britain, in fact, is a throwback to those phony war movies of the 1940s. Remember the obligatory scene of a young pilot lounging around the officers' club? Suddenly an attack alarm sounds and they all dash out to the right, leaving the fire burning and a few chairs overturned. The faithful old servant moves slowly through the room, adjusting chairs, and then the roar of aeroplanes is heard overhead as our boys fly off to engage the Hun. The servant takes a half-empty pint of beer for the table and lifts to toast the heroes and softly says, here's to you, sir. To its credit, the Battle of Britain eliminates this scene, but it catalogues all the others. The pilot staring moodily out the hotel window while his girl looks pensive on the bed, Churchill represented by a cigar, the kid who gets killed on his first mission, the brave little Red Cross nurse, the outcast officer whose early warnings have indicated, the officious German general, the Nazi pilots drinking champagne, while the harried British gulp tea and make repairs and intermittable shots of airplanes being shot down. All right, Roger, don't be stealing it at the, uh, the, the trope tally. We've only just started doing it. <laughs> he hated it. And, and <laughs> he I think really did, didn't he? American wow. audiences, and I think American critics, did really mm. enjoy it, really not enjoy it at the time. Yeah. yeah, there's a documentary with uh, Michael Caine. It's on one of the DVD extras where they interview people outside the American embassy. I don't know if you've seen that. And the, no, no. The, the, they're asking what's the Battle of Britain, and most of them don't know. One says, "Oh, is it linked to the War of Independence and such?" Like, oh, so wow. I think, yeah, I think, and that was kind of like saying, you know, America doesn't really know about it at the time. It's it's out of it. You know, the '60s. It's mm. it's it's done, mm. and that's kind of 
in the minds of the producers with Britain as well, because you, you've got the 60s counterculture, you've had the summer of love, and you've got the CND, you've got um, anti-Vietnam sentiment, which is spreading over the channel as well. And I think this is kind of like a go at trying to go, well, let's remind people of this. Let's tell this story. Let's put it on to the mm. next generation, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. It does almost feel like the last of a generation of films. And I think Ebert's yeah. probably clocked that it, has a lot of the the feel and tropes tropes isn't always a bad word um of no. um you know those classic 40s 50s um rf war movies um it just feels like it's sort of a, a bookend to those in a yeah. lot of ways because you don't I, I, I can't kind of think of i can't think of any in the in the 70s that were made um, not as big like as the this. RAF the only films. one that comes, no, not RAF wise, but the only one that comes yeah. close in terms of production and cast is A Bridge Too Far, really. Yeah. And even that feels like an end of an era, you know, nearly, mm. nearly 10 years later. Um, yeah. It's interesting. But we asked for your one word reviews as we do every week, and we got another bumper crop over 130 replies. Thanks, everybody. Really nice to hear your thoughts. I'll just rattle off a few in no particular order. So we had a uh, Roll Van de Velde said temper. Paul Watts goes with tally ho. Um, B one. I hope that was hyphenated. Pilot it was. Yeah. Says <laughs> a classic film. They cannot and don't make war movies like this anymore. Uh, Steve B G went with Stokers. Mark C went with Doorbell. Paul Can again went <sighs> with Stokers. Scott Isles went with Perfect. Um, and then uh, Tony Wilshaw end with Iconic. So the general consensus there was it's it's beloved, isn't it? I think. Mm, yeah. I think that's the word. And it's so quotable as well. Well, it is for me and nerd. Like maybe anyone who appreciates it, you know, there's all these things to be uh, repeated. You know. Oh, I think please. half of the one word reviews were quotes. You know, it was a yeah. lot of repeat, please. You know, Skipper H. Jerry's. Daka 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 daka. Yeah, it was all that. It, it is one of those movies that's become infinitely quotable. Um, so Matt, do you want to go into cast for us? Yeah, I'll just rattle us through because it's a huge ensemble cast, you know. Um, mm, yeah. yeah, in the vein of the the big budget classic war epics like The Longest Day and as we mentioned earlier, um, A Bridge Too Far. So we've got Harry Andrews as uh, Harold Belfer, um, the uh, the Under Secretary State for Air. Uh, Michael Caine as Squadron Leader Canfield. Trevor Howard as Air Vice Marshal. Uh, Keith Park uh, of number 11 group. Um, we have Ian McShane as a sergeant pilot, which is a really nice inclusion showing mm, yeah, that yeah. pilots were enlisted and not just officers. And there's a there's a little bit we, we can talk about later where it, the, the film even talks a little bit about that as well. Uh, Kenneth Moore as uh, group captain Baker. Uh, Barker, sorry. Uh, Lawrence Olivier as uh, Air Chief Marshal Sir Hugh Dowling. Dowding. Um, Christopher Plummer as squadron leader Colin Harvey, a Canadian pilot in the RAF. Um, Michael Redgrave as an unintroduced um, uh, Air Vice Marshal Douglas uh, Evil, uh, who is the, the senior uh, uh, staff officer with the um, fighter command at the time. Robert Shaw is the unnamed uh, squadron leader, just known as Skipper, basically. Um, Patrick uh, Wymark plays uh, Trevor Lee Mallory. Um, Suzanne York plays a uh, RAF officer, uh, Maggie Harvey, who is uh, Chris Plummer's wife in the film. Um, Barry Foster plays another squadron leader. Edward Fox plays a pilot officer who later becomes a, um, I think, I think a, um, 
flight leader. Uh, and then we have an appearance by Bill Foxley, a, um, a veteran of, of the, the Royal Air Force who was uh, a Burns victim and became very well known for his work advocating for um, the disabled and, and those that were burned yeah. uh, during their service. And then, interestingly, the film also has a um, a bumper German cast. Um, it's one of those films that takes a departure from overdubbing, and especially for the late 60s, a lot of films were overdubbing or just having the, the, the German actors speak English. Mm-hmm. So we get a German cast speaking German with subtitles, um, which isn't unusual, but for a film that has a lot of um, screen time with the German point of view it's quite interesting mm-hmm. so you've got uh kurt jurgens um as maximilian baron von richter who's the the german ambassador to great britain who has a small interaction with uh, ralph richardson who plays the british ambassador in uh, switzerland um neither of them are really introduced it's just yeah. oh it's two ambassadors in a room chatting about it, and then there's a little altercation and uh ralph richardson basically tells kurt to to do one I lost um, my we've got temper. I, I I'm I must say it was unforgivable. Um Hein Reese plays <laughs> while he's staring tea as well. I love that. While he's yeah. staring tea. Palpably British. Yeah. Um Hein Reese plays Hermann Goering. Dietrich Frobos uh plays uh Ahead Milk. Um Peter Hager plays Albert Kesselring, uh Wilfred von Acker plays Theo Osterkamp, uh the great Carl Otto von Alberti, which you'll You'll know from a number of episodes we've covered where he's appeared, plays Hans. Uh, yes, Sean. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, There's always one. Hans, yes, Sean, Chonic. How do you, you pronounce that, James? Do you know that? Do you know that name? I, I, no. <laughs> no? Okay. Because he was chief of the chief of staff of the Luftwaffe. Uh, so there I thought you, you might know. <laughs> uh, and then there's a character that is. Uh, based on Adolf Galland, who Robert's mm. already mentioned, was the uh, chief advisor for the Luftwaffe's point of view on the film, uh, Manfred Redderman, um, uh, uh, played um, Major Falk, uh, is is basically what his title as. Um, and he's largely based on Galland. So that's interesting that they're basing a character and not including him. Um, yeah, perhaps that was a little bit too uncomfortable for Galland, or maybe they made the uh, the production made a, a choice. Because um, I, I believe there was some friction with Galland and and some elements of of the way that the the film was was written and depicting. Although oh, he yeah. was on board all the way through, but there was a little blip during filming, I believe. Yeah, well, he, walked, he walked out a couple of times. Um, mm. But the, yeah, the, the character is definitely Galland with the the cigar and the the, the jacket, and he even has the uh, "Give me a squadron of Spitfire" line that yes. Galland is supposed to have said. So yeah, it's it's definitely a firm nod to to Galland. Um, but yeah, no, he walked out a couple of times. Um, there was a bit of a argument over the fact that the Luftwaffe, you know, didn't give Nazi salutes, which is nonsense. Mm. Galland was insistent that no, yeah. they didn't. We weren't part. We weren't Nazis, you know. Uh, and there was also a scene that was going to show um, a Not German covering his tracks. Oh, I know, shock horror. <laughs> um, there was also a scene that was going to show a Messerschmitt uh, shooting at a parachuting um, RAF pilot, and he was again was like, "Nope, that never happened." So, yeah, we had to wait another forty years for that to see that in uh, Flyboys. Two thousand six. Damn, yeah. Basically, I didn't want to go into too much detail on former films that the actors have been in. I just wanted to give us a firm... Um, we'll be forever. <laughs> yeah. Through of, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I've missed a few out. It's it is an ensemble piece. It really but is. Yeah. One thing I do want to talk about is what do you think, James, of you know the depictions of real characters? You know, people like um, Keith Park, um, Lee Mallory, mm-hmm. um, and and Dowding. Do you, what, mm-hmm. what do you think about those those um, those depictions and and the way that they've they've inserted those characters into the film? Because apparently the the com- the big conversation about big wings. Mm. And and the disagreement between the, the the two group commanders wasn't according to I think I think it was Park said that it wasn't quite as um, uh, antagonistic. Well, that's, yeah, absolutely. You're reading my mind actually because that's what I was going to jump to. Was you've got the scene with the three of them discussing the big wing theory and everything, and 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 yeah, Park's going. You, you can't do this. It takes too long to assemble these aircraft. By the time you're there, ready for them on the way home, and Mallory's going, "Well, I get to destroy more that way." And Park retorts, "Well, they're my airfields that are being destroyed." Can't, you know, yeah. and and Dowdy interjects and um, yeah, says about the fact that we need pilots and we need a miracle and all this sort of stuff. And that scene never happened. That never happened in real life. They they didn't meet in that office. They didn't have that conversation. But I defend it because how else are you going to really bring forward? those discussions that were happening behind the scenes. It's a brilliantly mm-hmm. done film with that emotive ending by Dowding as well. And it's me defending what a film can do, explaining history in just like a couple of minutes and explaining that, that, yeah. then, you know, um, but yeah, I think one of the praises I'll have for the film is it does put Dowding in a good light and park in a good light, especially consider what happened with them later on in the, you know, after the battle and such like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm all for it. And as I say, that 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 film's one of my favourites. It's not my absolute favourite, but there's a nod to yeah, really appreciate mm. it being made. Yeah, it, there's a hell of a lot of exposition, but it's needed because there's a hell of a lot going on. Yeah, like yes. it, I think we can give it. See, I see. I sort of I was in a big rut with this movie for a while, where I was like, it's too long. There's too much <laughs> exposition. People are talking for my benefit, and then I'm thinking, well, hang on, if you don't, and I, I always have to remember this. You know, and you leave. You have to leave your brain at the door when you start a movie to review it. You have to act like you've never seen it before. Um, you know nothing about the event. And to be fair, mm. you know, if you were a complete novice of history and you knew nothing about the Brit of Britain, you'd come away with quite a decent, oh, like, yeah. you know, rounded view of it. I mean, there's some bits I think that are a bit hokey. I don't think that the, the Wehrmacht was ever like really poised at, at docks waiting to get in. On the on the last Spitfire that had been blown up, right, lads, in the barges, let's go. I don't think they. You were mean they weren't that. trying on their life jackets? I don't think they were though. Okay. No, if they well. were training, well, if they were training, they really were training for Barbarossa because there's lads that said, well, they were told us that we were training for the invasion of mm. Sea Lion in you know post Battle of Britain, but we were actually next month we went to Bar- we went to Russia, so they were really just training for Barbarossa. Like that, that's something I've heard. I mean, there's a few bits in it that don't ring true, but. By and large, as as James has said, it's a classic, isn't it? Anyway, so, I mean, really, probably should get into Ali Tally, so it's probably going to be quite a long one. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. So, uh, James, you're our guest, and uh, in the Ali Tally, we talk about all the cool kit, equipment, things that took our fancy in the movie kick us off please because we always kick off with the guest those who know me will not be surprised that i'm going to pick the hawker hurricane um Mm -hmm. because i mean the spitfire it's beautiful i mean i I was spitfire mad growing up i was known as spitfire jeffries by some people at school um and i was drawing them and going to museums and 
absolutely spitfire mad. The Hurricane is just the workforce, and it is a beautiful, incredible fighter, and is so so important. I mean, I, I, I roughly about two thirds of you know out of Spitfires and Hurricanes were made up of Hurricanes. Interestingly enough, for the film, in airworthy terms, it's reversed. So you have it's, it's two thirds Spitfires to yeah um, that perspective. But yeah, the Hurricane stable gun platform. It's it's fast. It's more than a match. You can outturn a one hundred and nine in great hands. It's a great aircraft, um, and it can take a hell of a lot of damage as well. The cannon mm. shells can shoot straight through it, and it can carry on flying. Whereas a Spitfire, you know, and and the Spitfire was a nightmare in production to begin with. There's massive delays. Okay, there's minor delays on the Hurricane, but there's more on the Spitfire. Hurricane's easier to prepare, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I mean, there's that argument of well, if you didn't have the Hurricane, you know, the, the Spitfire would have been fine. No, it wouldn't have been because. That that gap with the when hurricanes would have been filled yeah. by Bolton Paul Defiance and Gloucester Gladiators, yeah. and you know it, that would be a very different battle at Britain. Um, so I just I just have to give a nod to the Hurricane. I think it's an in- incredible aircraft. I think that the film does probably play into the Spitfire myth, maybe not intentionally, maybe just. I was because... going to ask about that. Are there too many spits in this film? For me, yeah, I'm, pro- yeah. I'm probably going to get a whole tirade of people. But <laughs> hear me out. Um, it's obviously because of the restrictions of what's airworthy and what's able to be. Mm-hmm. And that's the fact that the Spitfire was longer in service. It's there is this 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 want to preserve them. You know, the hurricane's out of service, mm. et cetera, et cetera. There's not as many built. Um and, and that that massively plays into it. I like the fact that they have got hurricanes in it. You know, it's not a, a piece of cake job. Granted, they yeah. were even more restricted. I think there are only three airworthy. Well, at least Trevor Howard doesn't hop out of a you know like a Mark 7 Spitfire every every oh, yeah. time we yeah. see him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, that, and that's the other thing I really like about you know is that they put the right paint schemes on the aircraft. They make an attempt to put three bladed props on the the aircraft, for example. They they do all these things. Yeah, they give squadron codes that aren't squadron codes for fighter squadrons at the time to add to that ambivalence of okay, it's based on stuff, but it's not actually copying stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which that's I really point. like as yeah. well. That and gives the, it a bit of, yeah, yeah, sorry, and it's probably like a conscious choice not to include. Because if you because at the audience at the time, yeah. it's their kids maybe are going to go and see this film, yeah. and you don't want to see a film where potentially you've lost a a brother, you know, an uncle, a, a yeah. father in in a squadron that's mentioned by name, and you show them doing something completely different. So that could be oh, a absolutely. conscious choice by the filmmakers. But yeah. mention Hurricanes there, like being the workhorse. Like for me as well, like I love I love Hurricanes over Spitz just because you know they are the workhorse. There's a great the story. Underdog. They are the underdog, exactly. Absolutely. And I, I grew up in, in, under the flight path of Biggin Hill Airport, um, you know, famous fighter base mentioned in the film. And there's this famous story of a, um, I forget when in the war, but it was, it was definitely early on, it wasn't late war. Um, there was a, a German pilot shot down and he was taken to the, uh, the, the holding area. I think, I think they kept them in the officer's mess. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head years ago now. But he was, um, he, they were sending a report back to say that he was shot down. And he says, I was shot down by a Spitfire. And the yeah. guy writing the thing goes, no, no, it was a hurricane. You definitely shot down by a hurricane because, you know, he, we've got visual on you being blown up yeah. by a hurricane. He goes, no, it was a Spitfire. Definitely a Spitfire. He goes, no, it was a hurricane. He says, no, you have to report back that I was shot down by a Spitfire because if if I was if it was found out I was shot down by a hurricane, I'll never live it yeah. down. They'll never let yeah. me fly again. And yeah. that's a great little... <laughs> that's, that's, me, so... that's That's in a nutshell, isn't it, really? Yeah. And that's so common as well. You don't want to be shot down by a hurricane, even though you, no. you, the chances are you probably were. Yeah. Um, like being yeah. shot down by a flying fridge. You, know, you don't want to be... <laughs> you don't want to get any report on that. The Spitfire does have a sense of, of 
of an aura around it. I can't think of the right word, but you know, it's linked to the Schneider trophies, the exciting events of the, you know, aircraft absolutely breaking, speeding records and all the rest of it. But then it is just a symbol of modernity, the old metal design, you know, the, the, mm. the story behind it. And then it has this film, First the Few, Middle of the War, 42, that lionizes Mitchell. And from there, you have Spitfire fighter funds. You don't have a hurricane fund. You know, there's no, a reason for that. Point, Spitfire's, yeah. for want of a word, sexier than the hurricane. You know, that's why you've got these things. Um, and it, it continues on after the war. Spitfire is in service longer. And yeah, it, it's just one of those things. It's just... And, and I think the film unintentionally carries this myth on. You, you, even toys, there's a dinky Spitfire. There's not, you know, that's mm. the must-have sort of item, you know. And yeah, in, in the posters and such like, it, it's mainly Spitfires. There is still this 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 thing going on. And the interesting thing was the narrow margin that the book that the film is loosely uh, based on the book actually criticizes the myth of the Spitfire within it so I, I thought that was quite an interesting thing mm. you know the the irony of that yeah yeah it's a pop culture icon isn't it really oh yeah it can't be helped i really like the um the inclusion of you know showing radar and the radar screens i like that yeah. sec that, yeah. that sequence that's really good um i think the, the whole backstory of of gathering the aircraft from the you know the spanish um air force and having the um is it confederate yeah um what, is it squadron Confederate Air Force, the uh, Air yeah. Force, that's yeah. it. Yeah, those guys flying uh, some of the aircraft, and it it's also interesting. There's some great behind the scenes photographs of where they've they've sort of built up the back of a of a late model Spitfire to look like a Mark One, yeah. um, and and all sorts. So there was a real attention to detail where they could do it. You've got to you've got to salute the film for that because where else are you going to see a handful of classic british aircraft mm -hmm. take on a hell of a lot of spanish aircraft that look very much like the german aircraft they were copied from yeah <laughs> so it, it, it's a it's a fascinating piece of cinema in that all of that um air-to-air -air stuff is beautifully shot oh yeah, oh, yeah. it's yeah. great really really amazingly shot yeah i mean last week we did flyboys and that's all oh. cgi and it just doesn't mm. have the same feel as this. I know there's shots reused. There's definite reverse shots. There's, oh, yeah, yeah. There's definitely sped up footage and you know, things like that. But it's it's done with such a care and attention mm. to, like, making it look correct. And every single, like, you know, explosion or the way the, way the aircraft explode, it's different. You know, yeah. a wing might fly off this way. A fuselage might break off and fly off into the distance. It, it's so much variation that you can't mm. replicate the CGI. And I think this is possibly why one one of the reasons the film endures is because it is all, you know, ninety percent practical effects. Um, yeah. You know, unless you have had, you know, you have like a smash cut when something explodes and it's the same that weird sort of flickery explosion that you see a few times, which always mm. weirds me out because it's not aged very well with um, modern. Uh, restorations of, of the print but it, yeah. it's great and i think that's i'm not an aviation guy really i'm a, I'm a boots on the ground type fella but i like this film because of that you mm. know it's we've come along at this point in 1969 we've come a long way from the model the fat model hurricanes that you have in um angels 15 oh you know, yeah it yeah. looks a lot better yeah. Yeah. um 
that, as I say, that, that's the thing I really like. I mean, there are, you know, the model Stukas that fly. The Stukas, and obviously yeah. the, the Hurricanes and Spitfires that are, and Heinkels Anything that are crashing. Anything the ground was a model. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was just going to put yeah. a disclaimer if he didn't, if yeah. he hadn't worked that already out. You know, they didn't. Uh, although they do, they do blow up um, hangers. Um, yeah. Yes. Hangers. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. Definitely. We will talk yeah. about that. Mm. But yeah, yeah. It, it, that's, that, you know, as you say, the, the thing that's really appealing is it. You have, and you mentioned Angels 1-5, you have the really quite dodgy models of the Messerschmitts and the mm. kind of Dornier yeah and then after that yeah it's really I mean piece of cake yeah there's the they use a lot of footage from the Battle of Britain yeah. film. <laughs> uh, exactly. there's some beautiful beautifully shot stuff actually you know by the production crew and and, and such like but yeah it's on this scale of real you know aerial footage Mm. it's on its own really for the battle of britain at least yeah it is it really is and it's it's another thing where it you know it, it would be done now you would we no. wouldn't get the same level no. of attention to detail no. on the budget as well like you know nowadays 13 million is nothing but like you're back in then it's the budget shows for the, for the late yeah. 60s we got a little bit of it in miniature with uh mm. with dunkirk i suppose yeah we did a little bit yeah, yeah. another yeah, thing i know to jump off the talking about the aerial sequences there, one thing I like that the movie does, and it's, I mean, I guess it's Alley Tally, where you actually see the, the Dornier and the Heinkel crews returning yes. fire with their Spandaus, mm. but, but yeah, the MG 15s. MG 15s, sorry. Yeah. And they're not, but they're not taken for granted. They're not, they're not like flag waving, crazy Nazi airmen mm. being like, you know, Acton Schweinhund. They're not like commando book characters. They actually have a little bit of nuance. You feel mm. like, you know, they're not like they don't encapsulate themselves in the planes mm. and try and smash into Spitfires to get one more for the fatherland. They feel like real people. You know, they look panicked. They look scared. There's a lot of apprehension. There's tension in in those bombers, and I really I like the fact the movie does that. Yeah, and you do have that balance of, of the Luftwaffe. You see them on the bases. You know, you see. I mean, reminiscent of the Dambusters film, the empty chairs at dinner. You know, yeah. and that's a completely yeah. you, you don't see that. They're not Nazi caricatures, are they? No, at at all. Um, th there's no cliches about them. And I mean, the, the really striking thing, this is something um, I think Alan Allport pointed out was, and I, 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 I always think it as well. You see the uh, the Heinkels being shot down in the, uh, the raid from Norway, you know, over the north of England. And you're watching the crew struggle to bail out. And some of them, you know, only half out of the escape hatches as you see the Heinkel hit the see and i mean that's incredible mm. are you thinking actually like a few days before that was happening to blenheim cruise attacking yeah. denmark that that was happening yeah. to wellington cruise at the this in september december and that's an immediate sorry i've just shoehorned no, bomber it, command no, it, here, it's be right. no no it's fine it's fine um, well, the bomber, bomber command get mentioned they get sort of half mentioned don't they, they you don't see them bombing berlin yeah. but you hear it that's a nice inclusion um but i'm going to go off on a wild tangent now and talk about the ldv representation the local Ooh, defense volunteers of course because <laughs> it's my one of my things um if you don't know listen to Homefront history um my other podcast um never heard of it <laughs> so actually i think it might be one of the only depictions of the early ldv on the screen badged up yeah badged up the as other, LDV. the other being dad's army just before they transitioned yeah have, that's that montage where they march in their long johns for a minute yeah, so they come in, they come in, they march into the pub, and they're obviously, you know, ending a patrol. Mm. Um, and 
it's a good array of LDV weaponry at the time. They've got some pitchforks, they've got some shovels, they've, they've got a few shotguns that they've purloined from somewhere, and a few of them have SMLEs, which mm-hmm. is, you know, quite bang on the money, really. It's not shocking. Depends where they are. They, they might have had rifles rushed to them. They might have had some rifles even from the American Committee for the Defence of British Homes, but that's going into another complete tangent. Um, and, they, and in true sort of representation of LDV fashion, you can't have them being professional for too long but the minute they're off of their patrol they go and have a pint and they have a, a great little bit of dialogue where Sarge can buy his own you know I love it it's great but it, it's nice it's it's showing the home defense very briefly without making mm-hmm. you without really forcing it down your neck and then I like the tiny little bit of um, observer core um, yes. that you get representation I think it's based off that famous photo of the chap looking up to the sky in mm-hmm. front of uh, Buckingham Palace not back in the palace, St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, and that's nice, you know, he brings him a he brings him a cup of tea, and I think it one of them might be reading Sneville Sneath's um aircraft recognition book or, or a version of it. Um, it's just really nice. There's mm. these tiny little vignettes that show the wider makeup of air defense at the time, mm. rather than just being like, right, it's airplanes and it's it's girls pushing bits of wood across a table. Yeah. You know, it's more than that. Yeah, I, I mentioned that, you know, radar, you've got the downing system kind of explained with the Observer Corps and such, like you've, you've got these individuals being shown and you, and you mentioned the WAF there. One th- it's mm. really good that you've got the main character, uh, Maggie Harvey, Section Officer Mac Harvey. Um, and then there there is that scene where there are the dead WAFs and there is, yeah. a, you know, one of them's crying and all, all this and you just go, they're, they're on the front line, you know, and mm. I, I think that's a great nod, you know, really for the, the Auxiliary Air Force, definitely. Mm, especially in a time where female characters don't sometimes get a fair crack of the whip in war films. Oh yeah, um, yeah. we're coming out of that definitely in this. Well, as much as you can in 1969. Yeah. Well, I was, um, I was watching um, Dam Busters and the the women in that the whiffs the the wild whiffs the wafts are, are, are <laughs> serving tea or, mm. or breakfast or, or their Barnes Wallace's wife is the other sort of probably the main female. Otherwise, it's nothing. Mm. You know, this is a world away. Um, exactly. I mean, yeah. less said about her haircut, the better. It's so distracting. Don't, just don't. Oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah, it's so annoying. It's so annoying. I'm just like, which, did she have it in our contract or something that she couldn't have her haircut? It's oh, really? So but she could have no, pinned did she? it back. I said, did she? Oh, no, um, no, no. no. It, it wouldn't surprise me. Pin it back. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they, um, maybe they ran out of budget just before they were going to get oh, a yeah, barber and hairdresser. Yeah. And they were just like, maybe Adolf Galland was like, no, we didn't cut our hair in the Luftwaffe. Anyway. <laughs> so just my last little... Uh, Ali tally thing and i have to mention it um is the amount of raf bedfords on display is it's almost bedford central um i loved it <laughs> you got mws qls o types fire engines uh fire berths which carry the water um acd and aec matador you see near the pub that's really nice austin k2s there's a humbrum car i think's wrong for the dunkirk section um yeah is it Daimler? Dunkirk- it's a Daimler. I think it might be a Daimler. Yeah, it's a yeah. Daimler Humble. I think it's yeah. just a few. It might be a year or two out. Um, mm. But it's in there. Germans have a Sexton armored, uh, Sexton self-propelled gun, which is a lovely trope of the Germans having completely the wrong. Um, yeah, they have like a, an M3 half track as well, don't they? <laughs> yes, rolling so into it. rolling into it. Dunkirk. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, and even like even things that you don't really see ever. And like the barges representation of that you know mm, all the, yeah. the way it sort of shows that as i said the wider war but i had to get the beddy thing in there and you can't have a bedford on screen in a war film without blowing it up and they do yeah. great 
absolutely love it. I wonder what the kill count is on Betty's for this film, because it must be fairly high. Oh, well. At least six or seven. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah. Yeah. I winced every time. I was like, no. (laughs) Not the best. Not another one. Not another one. (laughs) They're just doing their job. (laughs) Cut to a cut to a bed food with a tear rolling down its headlight. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, one thing that stood out to me is one of my favourite parts of the film is those depictions of the RAF squadrons in France at the very beginning of oh, the film. Yeah. And there's some French infantry roaming around, and they've got uh, Mass Thirty Six rifles, which is a nice. very small detail that they've decided to get right. And I, I you've got to hand it to them for that. Mm. Um, in, in your capacity james was the french were there french chaps serving on raf airfields oh yeah you would have had liaison officers and, and such right, like okay. and there, there might have been troops you know there on guard and such i mean there were there were french bases so there, there was going to be a crossover and people wagging around still and right needed mm. to be there for for various oh, nice. yeah absolutely just always, just always wondered i mean it makes obviously when you explain it it makes complete sense they're in france yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> Were the French in France? Good lord! The French in France. The more important question is: Can you actually fit two people in the back of a hurricane? Oh, no! That looks very tight. That looks very tight. When he, no. when, the, I mean, they, when the French liaison officer hops him yeah. with one of the flying officers, and it looks it did, yeah. that looks that that's Smartest tricky. Let's French hope the, the, the next airfield isn't too far away that they're heading to. Oh, flying that would be a nightmare. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get your damn leg out of the way. What are you doing? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a slightly comical scene amongst all the chaos of them evacuating, isn't it? That mm. you see him jump on. And it also says, yeah, they, they want to continue the fight. There is this sort of, yeah. Mm. I also think it's quite fair to the ground crews as well. You do see quite a lot of them doing stuff and they're not, they're not treated like they are in piece of cake where they're like hated mm. in a, yeah, in a weird way. Yeah, the class thing comes in as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I watched a film this afternoon, and one scene I really liked was when Skipper's talking to one of the uh, the engineers, of flight sergeant, um, yeah. you know, and he says, you've only got eight, and it's like, well, you know, five are write-offs, and two are missing, and, you know, one needs this. Two on the 100-hour check. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Skipper goes, you know, and they've been working 48 hours solid, he says to Skipper, and he just goes, I know, it's like, just, just do the best you can, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love that nod. It's like, yeah, these guys were going without sleep days on end. Yeah. And they sure, feel like they yeah. appreciate each other as well. Absolutely, and that's yeah. what that's. I mean, I'm not going. Got about piece of cake, but that's where yeah. piece of cake felt false. Yes, where I was like, 
you're not going to hate the people who are arming your aircraft, repairing them for you, making sure you can go mm. out again and as safe yeah. as you can be. Like, you're not going to hate them anyway. Yeah. But no, it is nice they get in there. It is, again, it's the WAF get mentioned. You've yeah. got the officers as well. You, you, Ian McShane is the sergeant, um, the sergeant flyer. It's really great. Yeah. Um, it's actually, I think the more you talk about it, the more you analyse it. It is a lot... F- it's a lot better movie than I think some yeah. critics saw it as, but obviously yeah. they're not, they're not as well versed in the battle as we are. So it's, yeah. it's, well, it's, it's interesting. Just quickly mentioning um, yeah. Ian McShane, Andy's character. I love the fact that he's a sergeant from the East end because you don't have that with angels one five, you know, the, the, mm. the, the, the NCOs are the Irks. They're the ones at the top of control uh, towers or wherever it is looking out, counting the bombs on the airfield, you know, that that sort yeah. of, and it's almost comical. Um, and, and you do have that in other films as well. Um, I mean, breach for the sky. Yeah. I don't think there's hardly any nod is there. I think there's, you know, there's a, no. I can't really think of anything. So I really like that in here that you, you've got that, that NCO pilot. Cause I mean, about a third or a, a quarter to a third, depending on the squadron, were NCOs. Yeah, and during the war, it was even more bomber command. You have loads, you know, you have sergeants flying Lancasters and such like. So I, I absolutely love that nod. And also the fact that he's from the East End, you then have that story of his family being killed. Spoiler alert. Sorry if someone mm. hasn't watched it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's an incredibly powerful moment. And actually, it is. Yeah. The blitz scenes are, we'll get into favourite scenes in a minute, but the blitz yeah, scenes are yeah. treated with a lot of respect. And there's a lot more hard-hitting sequences in that tiny yeah. little bit, uh, that tiny part of the movie, the where you have the, the lads searching for the the family is like turn oh, that yeah. damn bell yeah. off, and then you see the family have been killed. It's really yeah. it really hits hard. Um, but the, the, another trope I want to quickly mention before we go off Ali Tally is it continues the trope of having every child it would seem in London or working class child <laughs> be a tiny little oik. Being like, I don't know, of course, it don't you ain't a, you ain't an officer, mate. Like, not why does every child have to talk like that in movies? It's like they're from all of a twist. It's bizarre to me. <laughs> I just don't get it. Although I, I do like the, the fact they got that bit where he, he says, you know, only officers fly Spitfires. And he undoes his button. You know, which is yeah. a nod itself to go, hey, look, this guy is a sergeant from the East End. He is a he is a, a Spitfire pilot, you know. So yeah. I think arguably Andy's character has the the most uh, development because even when he's yeah. introduced, he's introduced yeah. as not being um, an officer, but not being a slouch either because he understands French. Mm. When mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Fox's character tries to translate for him, uh, he yeah. says he, he he's ahead of him. He knows what they've said already. He translates it for him um, for the benefit so, of the uneducated amongst us. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And Ian McShane's character is definitely not the uneducated. Um, mm-hmm. and then of course the and tragedy with his wife is, is even more character development yeah. yeah yeah it is and they don't they don't overdo that either he doesn't become yeah. like a gibbering wreck or yeah. you know can't fly afterwards he just looks very stoic he's smoking there's a, a cigarette yeah there's a scene that. where he yeah. gets into the, the the car with um Shaw and he's very um silent and middle distancey yeah. isn't he they give each Which other is... this look don't they yeah, just, yeah. You know, doesn't have to be said. That's a very good scene, actually. He... I thought. Yeah, but again, that, that's that's the class officer NCO breakdown as well. You have earlier where he's, you know, cut out the sir. You know, mm. have you called your wife? It, you know, skipper's mm-hmm. going. Come on, there's a priorities now. You're back. You're safe. You've got to be okay. He's not going to be a functioning fighter pilot if he's not okay. Which I just think is is a brilliant little moment. And then later mm. on, yeah, after he's lost his his wife, he's staying with him, and there is just that moment of silence where. They, they don't need to be any words yeah 
you know, it's brilliant. Even, even when they're, I think when they're waiting, I think I forget what the huts are called in the little hut thing. Um, what are those huts called? They have a name. The dispersal hut. Dispersal hut. There you go. When they're yeah. in one of them, um, he's just at Ian McShane, just having a cigarette. Yeah. He looks a bit pensive, but he's not like, oh, my family, which yeah. they would do now. Um, it's nice. And then I like the fact they get rung and they all look really like all panicked that like they have to go out again. And it's all right. So tease on. Love that bit. Well, I really like the fact, this is a random thing I didn't think I was going to say. One of the pilots is sick out of fear. You know, the phone rings yes. and it runs yeah. out. Yeah. Like, and it's like, back okay, and yeah. yeah, we're not afraid, but we're not, you know, we're going to show these pilots were scared. They were human beings. They're that humans. Got anxiety. Human it's like, yeah. System. It's a world away yeah, from definitely. Kenneth Moore and such like in Reach for the Sky. Oh, it's, God, yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> So with that, I think maybe we should, we're talking about scenes there quite heavily, <laughs> like we do. We should stray off. Um, we should uh, move on to favourite scenes. Hello, I'm Al Murray, and you're listening to Fighting on Film, the world's number one war film podcast. So James, as with the Ali Tally, you're our guest this week. Yeah, kick us off. Okay, I'm going to go with one that I just absolutely love. It's so satisfying to watch. It is um, when the... Polish squadron are in the air and and uh and they see th- these German bombers and the squadron leader uh Barry Foster's character squadron leader Edwards doesn't see them and he gets orders to return back to base because they're a training squadron um and he says this and the Polish pilots go screw that they're chatting amongst themselves going Nazis Nazis over there look at them look at the Germans Germans um, yeah um and they just disobey or to say repeat repeat please um, and they just go into Repeat, battle, please. and there's just this frust- brilliant frustration from uh, Barry Foster, squadron leader Edwards, where he's just like they're, they're chatting amongst themselves. He goes, "Yeah, for God's truth!" And then he sees them going into, into combat, and uh, yeah, he just says silence in Polish as they're chatting to each other. And it's just, <laughs> it's oh great. my goodness, it's, it's such a good scene, and it's just the whole yeah. sort of like uh, screw orders. We want to shoot down bombers, you know? Yeah, yeah, I love it. It is that's also my favourite scene as well. Um, just because it's a li- nice little bit of humour when you've had some quite hard-hitting yeah. elements of the movie. It's after, I think it just comes just after the Blitz scene. Yeah. So it is nice to have that that upturning, you know, and like a little right smile as they go off shouting Nimshi and like shooting their shooting the Dorniers down. It's great, I love it. And it it's a nice way of including them without mm. having to set them up like massively and having to give them all names and cast them all. It, it's great to just have them in there being the sort of, doing their job yeah <laughs> like yeah. doing what they wanted to do and it's and it shows in its own way it shows how the you know the poles wanted to get back at the, mm. the germans for doing what they did to to uh Gdansk and, yeah you know in their country so it's really nice in there and i just i just love it it's just great yeah. great writing as well with the repeat oh, piece yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just eternal it's probably my favorite piece of writing from the from the film mm. and even then when he is telling them like afterwards look we must say like this and do that and they're just looking at each other like so what like we're gonna do what we want um and even and then to to caveat that i love the bit where the pole gets shot down and all the farmers (laughs) think he's german (laughs) he's like i'm 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 polish but but what makes it funnier is like later on in the film he's got the book up for saying a thousand words it's It's a great callback yeah yeah i think the other thing about the the, that scene was there was a bit of reluctance about whether to film it as well oh really 
really? because you, you've had a lot of awkwardness post 45 with the polls and, and the USSR oh, and such like and the you know the, the victory parade and, and all the rest of it going mm. on they're a bit like well do we want to put this in moment that's for sure oh absolutely not no. but they're no. like do, do we want this scene and, and Ben Fisk is, is who was a Polish pilot uh, during the war goes no I want that in there you know I want a nod to the polls and I just think that's that's brilliant because they do deserve that nod and I mean we've had film since and appearances since, since but i just absolutely love the fact that it's there knowing you know about that history beforehand as well yeah that's fantastic that's my favorite scene as well so i, I won't recover it but yeah fantastic <laughs> what about you matt <laughs> i've got a couple um i really like that beginning sequence um whether in france um and it's interesting, isn't it? There's a there's a little bit where um, one of the planes flies over um, a column of refugees and troops retreating. And it says, you know, who the hell is he trying to kid? And it's that old RAF not protecting the BEF myth yeah. kind of being nodded to. Pre um, Dunkirk, Matt, in 2017. I, what, are well, yeah. what are you saying? You've blown the war genre apart here, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that whole first, well, I mean, it's like, 10 minutes before we get to the, the credits, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and the, mm-hmm. uh, the, um, the, the, the big battle of Britain title yeah, comes yeah. across the screen. And... I love, I love the way they transition. Sorry, quick. I love the way they transition into that, where they go, the battle for France is over. Mm-hmm. I, that whole 10 minute sequence, the battle of Britain is about to begin title screen. Great writing. Yeah. Uh, fabulous writing. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Straight into that perfect. brilliant score as well. Mm, it's exactly. just a big epic moment, isn't it? Just this year. Um, and I like the fact that they show that the RAF squadrons are having to, you know, retreat, move their airfields back. But at the same time, they're showing that it's causing havoc for the ground crews because mm-hmm. everyone forgets, A, that the RAF had squadrons based in France and and B, that there was ground crews that had to escape the advancing Germans as well. Mm-hmm. So the... the um, the flight sergeant's told to to burn all the lame ducks and mm-hmm. get you know get as many people out as he can to the nearest airfield where they're all headed to, and mm. I think that's a a really nice inclusion which yeah. didn't need to be in the film, really, when you think about it, but it adds so much context, um, yeah. and gives and gives that real impression of they're on the back foot and they've been on the back foot since before Dunkirk. You know, it's. Yeah. It's a grave situation. Um, and I already mentioned that it introduces um, Ian McShane's character, Andy, really nicely as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. My my other favourite scene is the um, the Eagle Day raid, the big raid on uh, Duxford when they start attacking um, the airfields. And it begins with that nice back and forth between Kenneth Moore's character, uh, squadron uh, leader Barker and group captain. Uh, Sorry. group captain apologies um and Suzanne York who who's the the raf and they're chatting and he says you know um I think they're talking about gas mask bags you know not being used That's to handbags yeah. and all this sort of thing and keeping um female personnel out of male slit trenches that sort yep. of stuff yeah um and it's very much um the war hasn't reached us yet let, and we're still dealing with things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of mm-hmm. things. And then in the background, the Heinkels are approaching and a dozen Bedfords are being destroyed about 400 yards away. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> all hell breaks loose. Yeah. 
And yeah, somehow, somehow they managed to, God knows how they got this past whoever was you know running Duxford at the time, but they managed to destroy that hangar. Oh, so, gosh, yeah, yeah. From the First World War. Yeah. A historically significant hangar gets blown up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine and Harry it, Saltzman should be like, I want to blow that up. See that big up. hangar there? Blow it up. Explode it for me. Harry I, Saltzman. I, I watched it with a friend. And they actually went, that's a really impressive model. And I just went, there's something I need to tell you here. Yeah. And they, they didn't believe me for a second. They're like, what? <laughs> Reminds me of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns is like, model? Bruce Moose, Model? It's great, though, because it obviously mm. because it's not a piece of model work. It looks fantastic. It you know? does. It's incredible that they, you know... It's not great that they did it, and it's probably no, not what not, uh, Duxford right. intended for them to actually do to no. the hangar. But it's still, it's quite impressive, and they they shot yeah. it really nicely and got a couple of angles for it, so they knew they were doing it. Um, oh, definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and that sequence is is just one of my favorites. And then Send the curator off for tea or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sign this form for me, will you? It says something yeah. about production, <laughs> anyway. And then we get that real that that real weight of the mm. aftermath. And Suzanne York mm. is there stood having to deal with the fact that a lot of her, not only probably friends, but also her um, subordinates have been killed mm. and they're underneath a tarp. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. Um, she, she goes to light up a cigarette and a, and a warrant officer tells her to, to not light it because um, the mains have been blown, which mm. seems a bit stupid because the hangar behind him is on fire. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but we'll let that off. Um, it's... <laughs> Yeah, she should have. <laughs> All right, I won't light a match, I'll just light it via this fire. Yeah. 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 Um I'll go and smoke over there by the hangar that we've accidentally blown up for production. And it's it's a moment where her character has a little bit of development. She asserts herself mm. to the warrant officer, um, because obviously he's a man, but he's also her subordinate mm-hmm. subordinate. Um so it's it's a really interesting scene because a lot's going on. And I like the scenes with Kenneth Moore's character because he's, you know, he, he's somewhat fatherly in his approach really to, mm, yeah. to her. Um, and it's just a, an interest, interesting dynamic. And it's got that impressiveness and that weight, you know, um, emotional weight. So it's, it's, it's one of my favourite scenes. And then, yeah. I, I know we've already talked about them, but all of those um, aerial combat scenes are incredible for the yeah. day. I mean, and yeah. I watched, um, I watched, I think it was a behind the scenes thing. And it was talking about how um, initially the dogfights weren't aggressive enough. So they asked, they asked the pilots to be a bit more aggressive. Um, and that led to like aircraft getting to within like 15, 20 meters of the, the B-25 mm. they converted to film everything uh, like a, like a camera bus. Um, so, the intricacies of, of choreographing all of that must have been incredible. And and the fact mm. that you mentioned earlier, Rob, that all the um all the shots looking up were shot in Spain for that English summer effect, you know, all nice Malta. clear skies. Yeah. Or mm. Malta, getting all the detail and then, you know, shooting downwards for um in the UK for, for getting the right colour grass, I'm assuming. <laughs> You know, it's like probably battle, yeah. battle of bulge type type thing. Like um, <laughs> yeah, they could have done that, couldn't they? <laughs> a little bit of snow in there. <laughs> Thank um, God they didn't. Spanish, 
Spanish deserts. You, know? you do get that that scene uh, that's the part of Calais with this massive hill behind it because the part of Calais <laughs> yeah. is known for its mountainous <laughs> terrain. Um, when Gerga arrives, yeah. and Calais, the lovely you know, so Spanish port. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely Spanish port with the with the two MG thirty fours defending it. Yeah, love it. <laughs> yeah, I like how in that scene where they show this the the barges that have obviously been put been mothballed. It's almost like you're meant to feel sad for the Germans that they didn't get to invade. I always feel like that. that yeah, it's like, like, like oh, okay, German soldiers <laughs> dragging their um, oh, their life ooh, preservers ooh. behind them as they walk yeah. away, sad. Oh, not going to get to invade Britain now. Ooh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of the RF. That's part should of be thing. a lad at the other end handing them like parkers for the Russia. <laughs> like, don't worry, lads. <laughs> Here are maps of Russia. No, um, yeah, yeah. Say Barbarossa. That's, that's one thing I would say that I think would have been a nice nod is just mentioning the Battle of the Barges and showing maybe some buildings blown up and some sunken barges. But that's mm. me being very picky because that's my. No, I agree. That, that's yeah. the hill that I what I will die on is talking about Boba Kavan and Coastal Kavan in the Battle of Britain. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it looks like yeah, the soldiers just waiting there. You know, put them in. Yeah, yeah. they could have easily put them in. Like they mm. cut cut some of those egregious scenes with all the jerrys in because there are quite a few of there that you don't need yeah um to me anyway but well, that's final thoughts territory in a minute oh i've got something before we move on one thing that i did actually want to ask you james is that mm. occurred to me while i was watching um there's a great little scene where they are claiming their kills mm. and i think it's after the norway uh raid in um and they they mm. talk about um i got one it had a red band on it and he, he gets a third of a kill what was the actual process for claiming kills? Did someone have to verify that visually, or what? What was the process behind that? Because I've always wondered that. Yeah, there the, 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 the had to be verification. There had to be people, you know, other the people that seen it. It's a really, really difficult process. I mean, the the actually the RAF are probably more scrutinising than the Luftwaffe. The Luftwaffe generally took, uh, you know, the person's words the, the the fighter pilot's <laughs> word, unless it was absolutely right. ridiculous. Oh, I shot down a hundred spitfires, right. you know. Um, yeah. And I think they they claim they claim thousands of shot down like I don't know three or four times the actual number of aircraft that mm. are destroyed. I can't remember if that's the exact figure. Whereas the RF are much more scrutinising. They they take account of the wrecks on on the mainland and stuff. I suppose they have that advantage in the Battle of Britain. They can do that. Mm. Um, mm. There, there is an idea. There are people that are critical at the time and say, okay, well these claims seem very huge. We're looking at figures, you know, via the United States or Sweden or whatever. Well, and Dowding, I, th I think it's Dowding says, well, there's quite a few that will crash in the sea, ones that are shot up that don't quite make it home, which is true as well. Um, but yeah, the, the whole process really, I mean, that's the other thing to remember really is when it came to kills, it was more, for the RAF, it was a squadron effort. So it would be 501 squadron and shot down, you know, X amount and such like the Luftwaffe, it was about the individuals. I think you have this with like, you know, a general thing really with like tank aces and such like. Um mm with the allies yeah. and, and and the germans you know but um yeah they, they, they are scrutinizing there are questions there is a well did you see them you know let's let's identify this you have gun camera footage eventually coming in you do have them yeah, in the battle yeah. of britain that's another factor to try and back up these claims and actually that's that's one scene jumping to piece of cake i really like is when that skull the intelligence officer plays in this clip and they goes actually this 109 was a spitfire and this other 109 was a spitfire um <laughs> Because the chaos of air <laughs> fighting is just this thing flies in front of you, and if you're inexperienced and scared, you you fire away, and yeah, 
it, it yeah. could well be of, of, you know, I mean, there's plenty of occasions of, of friendly fire and blue on blue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, the, but as I, I say, the main I, point was the RAF are trying, you know, much yeah. more to, to verify these kills. There are these. these I found that whole scene really interesting, you know, and um, it really made me think because it never really occurred to me. How do they verify these things? Yeah. Speaking of gun cameras, they... I really like, I forgot to mention Sorry. in the Italian, but I really like the use of uh, reflex sites. Oh the, yeah, the, that shot that they that they nice. do regularly through yeah. the reflex site of the of the spit or the um the hurricane. I really like that. Forgot to mention that in the early time, so apologies. Just no, right. just came back to me there. Um, didn't they bug as well? They bugged German officers yeah. chatting afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like pilots. Yeah. I mean, this is an old technique, actually, that 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 goes back where you'd listen in and such. Like, is you'd keep someone on their own for a while, ask them generic questions, you know, uh, and you'd get the I don't know name, rank, serial number, or something particularly not interesting. You'd leave them on their own for a couple of days, then you'd put them with a couple of other crew members, and they'd be like, "Oh, wow, you're safe," or there might be someone that they might know, or it's just like, "Oh, it's a friendly face," someone, and then you would bug that. And all of this stuff would come out. You go, oh, they're based at Abbeville. Okay, they must be with this unit. And you know, it, it all of a sudden right, you'd be able yeah. to pick up this picture. I mean, it's not a, mm. it's not unique to the RF and the Second World War. They're, they're doing right, some okay. stuff, uh, beforehand, but yeah, that, that definitely they they would do that. Yeah. Well, one thing I have to talk about before we move on to final thoughts is another but one of my favourite parts um, is it. Well, it's Edward as the day of recording. Um, Thursday the 13th of April was Edward Fox's 85th birthday should have mentioned that in the um, cast notes um, should have but it should have yeah completely forgot um, but I love it when he crashes into that greenhouse and he gets a cigarette oh yeah and he's like thanks awfully old chap fantastic just love it and then you don't see him again great no that's it isn't it <laughs> like many characters they just get whistled out of the film but no it, it's great and um, you know fair play Edward Fox 85 still with us Fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's also Arthur Harris's um, birthday as well. Obviously, well, he's just no this, so. what a link! Because I'll know those that sort ends. of things, you know. Yeah, and jo- and James mentioning Bomber Command again. I am. I've got to. I think we should probably move into final thoughts. Gonna ask you again, James. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I mean, jump in. I, I I think it's brilliant. I'm 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 biased. Yeah, it got me into history, and the more that I I read about it, I look into the Battle of Britain. I I just think it's it's it, it tries so much. It, it gets a lot of good things in there. Maybe it tries too much. I don't know. Yeah, you could be critical and go the haircuts. You could go the plastic doorbell. Um, oh God, I was about like, to but... mention the doorbell because no one had mentioned it yet. <laughs> um, but I'm glad you got that in there, James. Oh no, right. Matt was seething there, like, come on! Someone mentioned oh, the doorbell. Yeah. With the, the fucking doorbell! <laughs> Growing up, I didn't notice it for ages, but then my dad went, oh, you've seen the doorbell, and now it yeah. just jars in that scene. It's not as... <laughs> yeah, no, how did they talk about the doorbell, but no one talks about the, the mid to late 60s um, bathroom fixtures. The haircut is more oh. egregious. I'm, no, I'm not worried, I'm not worried about yeah. the haircut, Rob. It's the, it's the bathroom that she stood in. And you're like, that doesn't oh, look yeah. a very 40s bathroom to me. Yeah. Well, there no. we go. Anyway, so, yeah, do continue. Sorry, James. Yeah. But yeah, 
Yeah, you've got that. I think the air sequence is a fact that it's real. It's moved away from the models. It's before sort of, you know, uh, CGI and such. Like, you've got to watch it and admire it. And that effort of getting the aircraft together and the restoration process, perhaps it even started the whole Warbird thing, getting people getting Mm. these aircraft back flying and, and thinking, actually, we need to preserve these. We need to keep these aircraft. We need to get more flying. Uh, the musical score as well speaks for mm. itself. Mm. I, I think, again, I'm biased. I just think it fits in perfectly. It, it's it's emotional at the right moments. It's stirring. Uh, and you, you've got um, William Walton's one segment, the, the air battle in the air, which is the 15th of September, where it's just the music yes. over the, the air battles. Mm. I think it's especially powerful. Very good um, sequence. And the the main thing I really like is the nod to the international effort. You've got Canadian parts, you've got Polish, we've mentioned earlier, and then at the end credits, you've got the full yeah. list. You've got you know, and it mentions the obviously fleet air arm, and it mentions you know uh, New Zealanders, South Czechs, Africa, yeah. etc. There are mistakes, Czechs, absolutely. Um, there, there are a couple of mistakes. So on, on one, some of the cuts, it's that uh, says there's an Israeli pilot, even though Israel yeah. didn't exist. Uh, there's there's a there's the mistake there, but I like the fact that it's got this nod. I mean, I, I'm gonna bang that drum again. I would include Bomber and Coaster Command in there, but that's Bomber Command gets yeah. the tiniest um, dimensions when they're talking about pulling pilots from other places, don't they? They talk about the fleet air arm, yeah. and the light bombers as possible places to pull yeah. pilots from. Well, they, they they mentioned coast. They never mentioned Bomber Command by name. They mentioned Coastal Command, saying you know there's parts going. They say uh, we could take air crews from the light bombers but we're scared about doing that because of invasion no mention that the light bombers are bombing Luftwaffe airfields barges yeah. and doing loads of other stuff but okay um, busy and yeah they're doing uh, their bit you know yeah. and, and the air raid on berlin it's the RAF bombing berlin it's not bomber command it, it's almost like there's still this taboo do we mm. which surprises me because hamish mahadi was in bomber command you know who made a major part in getting a lot of the aircraft mm. together uh, and he's he's on the World at War documentary. He's interviewed, speaking about his time in, in Bomber Command. And, and Foxley yes, as well is Bomber Command. So mm. there are all these nods, there are all these people involved, but there is this this reluctance. And uh, yeah, that does grate me a little bit, um, yeah. if you haven't guessed. But yeah, and I think it, it, it maybe comes at the wrong time. There is, as we said earlier, there is this change in, in tone and approach to war film that it, it sits awkwardly in. And you think about what's happening in the late 1960s going into the 70s and, and such like, I think that's a factor. But I like the fact that there is there is this balance. Okay, it's not, you know, you've got the Luftwaffe perspective. You've got these, these scenes showing the Luftwaffe as pilots and such like. Yeah, it, it may be emitted far too much. You know, like we say with with Galan going no Nazi salutes, you know that's taking it too far. Um, but the fact is, it's there. It attempts that. You don't have that in Angels One Five. You don't have it since. You don't have it in Piece of Cake, First Light, Three Hundred Three Squadron, etc. You, you don't have that. So, on that basis, yeah, hats off to this film doing that. Um, and mm. it is the overall narrative which is impressive. You know, it talks about doubting. It talks about the systems, but it's also got the pilots and. As you said earlier, it mentions the LDV. It talks about the downing system. It shows the people on the ground, which I don't think anything else tries to do. Granted, maybe it tries to put too much in that it gets lost. And I, just, I can't remember if I said one of the criticisms at the time is there's too many characters. There's no one really to latch on yeah. to. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think that I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's a fantastic film. So that, that's my yeah. summary. I would. Go on. Sorry, go on, Matt. And I'll jump cool. in. Um, I would agree. I mean, for me, I think it's. It's a culturally significant film for you know for Britain and British audiences for sure, and it has that 
um, instant um, reaction whenever it's mentioned of a mix of nostalgia and, and mm. pride, that kind of thing goes on with it. And mm. I think it does suffer from, in a filmmaking perspective, it does suffer from not developing its characters in a way. Some of them, it makes complete sense. They are mm. people who are killed in action and they're not mentioned again. Um, we talked a little bit about that before we started recording. Um, that it's, you know, that is mm. how it, it was often dealt with. Um, yeah. But there's other characters that could have easily been developed. And it's some of it is just a little bit underdone. Others better, like Ian McShane's character. But um, in, in terms of a film, I think in terms of exposition, it's more than forgivable because it's covering such a broad, huge battle and well, mm. campaign, really. Um, because there's so much that the filmmakers want to include, not only you know giving people those nods like the polls, but also mm. wanting to get across the entirety of the story. Of course, they miss things like Coastal Command and Bomber Command that they could have included. Um, but at the same time you probably if you'd done that you would have had more detriment to character development and the way that the film yeah. as a narrative progresses um but in terms of aviation filming incredible score amazing the ensemble cast does a great job with the the small um bits of character development they do have and also not all the characters need development i think it's really interesting the way um the way that uh, Lawrence Olivier portrays Dowding um, and yeah. that almost pessimistic stoicism. Um, and the end of the film is, is really quite powerful from, from, from that performance, I thought. That, that's actually mm. something that I, I read was um, um, Dowding originally in mind, it was going to be Alec Guinness mm. um, and okay. Rex, Rex Harrison for Park as well. Okay. Mm. Were the original, mm. yeah. Who they approached. I'm sure I see that myself. Oh no, no, um, I don't. Yeah. No. I mean, for me, like that, that's my hang up, really, is the ensemble I think is too big for its own car own good. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I think it's a shame that Kane is really underused. Yes. I would rather have had more of him. It doesn't use the ensemble cast as well as the longest day or a bridge too far, for instance, mm. or even midway or something like that. It doesn't doesn't make the most of them in the same way. There's no one to yeah. I think there's no one to pin your hat properly on. They they try and do it with Plummer, but his his arc isn't interesting enough. What will his mm. wife get it out of London or not? Like or get out of the, mm. the way of the bombers or not? That's not interesting enough to me because her character, unfortunately, I don't. For me personally, isn't interesting enough to be whisked away and be. I sent. think it's interesting that she's reluctant um, to to move away from her post. I think that's a significant element yeah, in her character that, that's but good, beyond yeah. that there isn't a great deal there other than that great scene where she's reacting to the no. death of you know the wafts something else i just thought of with link with the longest day is you actually have the name of the person appear as well so it will say that's major true. howard or, or whatever you don't get that with this it's a yeah, what's no. name so if you watch i mean i've watched it a billion times yeah, so harry andrews it. appears so and you're like who's this first? and it, it's only if you look yeah, at the you, you, if you look at the, the yeah. credits it's you know it's uh harold balfour and you're like oh okay yeah mm. yeah it, it 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 that's my issue with it really. Yeah. It, there's because there's a lot of people in it. Like Kenneth Moore has maybe six seven lines. Mm. So does Kane. Like it's my thing of 
this is probably the easiest money they ever made <laughs> like at the time um because they're just barely in it and it's a shame because looking back now i'm like oh, i wish i would have seen more kane i wish i would have seen more kenneth Moore. but it's just because i like those actors yeah. but i think that there was where it maybe could have had some refinement with using its characters a little bit more maybe telling you they were developing them a little bit and then comes to another gripe that i have i mean i'm, I'm being i still don't get me wrong i love it i think some of the movies uh What's the word? It is rose-tinted. I think a lot of it's held in nostalgia. Mm. That's perfectly mm. fine. I think a lot of the audience that saw this when it came out in the cinema, it's a special film for them. Totally get it. Um, you know, it's like our generation, we're under 40. It's probably Sam Private yeah. Ryan is the film yeah, that kicked yeah. off. Yeah. The history within us, definitely for me at least. Um, Again, not but it's a perfect film either. So. It, no. Not a perfect film, no. No, no film's perfect, really. Um, but it, it's the scenes where it sort of deviates just a little bit from its main plot, where you've got that scene where Hitler's given a speech. Yeah. And I'm like, we don't need this. We know Hitler was loved and, and and overdone by the regime and its followers. Like, we know this. I don't need to see it. It, it just, it, it deviates a little bit there for me. And some of the scenes where it's developing the German characters, I'm like, great, we're going to get a, a scene where the guy that's based on Galland has like a duel with McShane or something in the air. We don't get that. Like mm-hmm. they build them up to d- then do nothing with them. And that's my issue with it. It's and that's point. where the ensemble thing comes in again. I've gone in a circle. You establish these people, then you mm-hmm. don't do anything with them. And that's why I think Matt said it earlier, where McShane is the most rounded character. And you feel for him over most of them because mm-hmm. they get something. He gets something to do. He's got some skin in the game, as I say, a lot of weeks. You know, this character has something for you to care about. Um, but that's my main, that's really my main gripe. It's a classic. The aerial scenes are great. It's maybe a bit too long for some people. It didn't drag on my watch. No, I think it's paced quite well. Considering. Yeah. It is paced well. Yeah. And and the, I, the soundtrack's great. It, it, you know, it is what it is, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I'm there wanting it to be six hours yeah. long, but that's me. <laughs> Where's the hour like about Bomber Command? And damn I'm, it. I'm, Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate, you know, no one's going to sit through that apart from me in an empty cinema. Just, yeah. Um, the, a six hour the Jeffrey's edit. It's just edit oh. every other classic war film, every British aerial war film in to make this great grand <laughs> overview. <laughs> it is a film that's endured. And we've had numerous people contact us going, when are you going to do this mm. film? When are you going to do about the Brits? So important. As was with Where Eagles Dare. Um, and it's nice to sometimes do these big hitters because I say not every week, I, I say a lot on the show, if you're a listener or if you're a brand new listener, I say not every week can you watch a AAA, great budgeted war film with a great cast, everything going for it. You know, you have to watch the minor leaguers. But when you do watch a AAA, oh, it's super sweet. And this is this is one of those mm-hmm. movies. And you've got to get the right guest on for it as well. Exactly. Oh. And I think, with, you know, with James, it's been fantastic. Um Thank you. It really yeah. has. Thanks for joining us. So that was the Battle of Britain, 1969. We hope we did it justice and we hope our criticisms were merited. And thanks again to James for joining us. If you don't follow him on Twitter already, please do. You know, his career is seems like it's going places and, you know, fantastic time to have you with us again. Um, and yeah, do join us next time for another war movie. Um, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, James. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye, everyone. See ya. Bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.